0: because that has been my life and when i say a global mindset and a global leadership style is really um, how do you evolve the person you are to be able to interact with diversity not only to interact but really understand what it is about who you are when you are in relation to these diversities and how do you um, transform yourself and expand who you are so that you can actually be um, performing at your best.
1: Welcome to the Emotional Coach Podcast with me, Andrea Splendori. And this week, my guest is Barbara Dallepezzi. Barbara is an internationally recognized coach, leadership development expert, and author. And she specializes in global leadership and diversity. Please subscribe, share, and review. It's the only way podcasts like this have a chance to survive. For more information, please visit andreasplendori.com. The title tune is Paralyzed by Nevada. I gotta start the recording because I always find there's always a beautiful nugget just before we start the proper conversation and we can always use the
0: sure sure so i imagine you are editing podcast or who knows
1: i do edit the podcast but sometimes i find uh, i just did a so i do another podcast called social fabric which was my original podcast um where i talk to pretty much i wouldn't say anybody but i do believe that everybody has a, a fantastic story to tell and this morning i was talking to a, a wonderful girl she She's a beautician, a nail technician, right? And but uh, her story goes: she, she she lost she lost her son. was born and um, and was still born. So, but the, the conversation was just so fantastic that uh, it was cathartic. It was it was a real culture conversation in a way, and uh, and it was wonderful for her. It was wonderful for me for me to hear, and and we just. I don't think I'm gonna re- take anything out of it because it was just it was just great. Sometimes be a bit noisy or something but most of the time it's just great it's just wonderful
0: beautiful
1: here we go here we go so barbara del pezzo the, thanks so a First of all thanks so a for coming on the podcast because uh actually that's going to be my first question why are you here
0: why i'm here to this <laughs> attending this podcast Well, because I like, first of all, the title of the podcast, The Emotional Coach. (laughs) And uh, I was wondering, actually, how do you interpret The Emotional Coach, meaning a coach that gets really emotional with the client? uh, And how how do you interpret that? And I am passionate about emotions uh, because I believe they are so powerful in (laughs) all ways. And uh, so I decided, you know what? It will be an interesting conversation. So, and I'm always open to surprises. So that's uh, that's a first uh, level uh, answer.
1: Okay, well, I give you the answer of to the emotion. So it came from um, the very first guest I had. We were we were talking about emotional intelligence, and then I thought, well, actually, I'm a very emotional person myself. So between that and the other, I thought, okay, I like the sound of it, and that's what is it stuck with me. But like you, I, I believe so much in emotion. So, tell me about the second layer of the answer.
0: Well, the second layer of the answer is uh, if somebody has called their podcast with emotions in the title, it must be a very sensitive person, and definitely <laughs> as a person I would like to have a conversation with. So, that's that's the other reason why I accept it is. Uh, invitation
1: wonderful wonderful delighted delighted so so we're gonna do a bit of discovery you're gonna find out a bit more about you because we never met. we had a, a mishap last week or the week before where we were in two different zoom rooms so we didn't get to talk <laughs> and and yeah and i thought oh i can't believe she stood me up but, <laughs> but i was go.
0: thinking the same on in the other room actually what happened What? <laughs>
1: Well, here we are now, and uh, so I did a bit of research on you, and there's so much about you that I, I, I'm trying to figure out where the best place to start, and I guess if we can start from, maybe from a little bit of a bio, because if I'm correct, you're Italian, like I am, and... and Very nice
0: to meet you. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, I'm Italian. I suspected
0: it from, by looking at the name, but
1: yeah. Yep. Yeah, uh, but I think you like me as well, you... You've gone all over the world, and I'm not really sure where you are now or where you're going to be tomorrow. So tell me a little bit about you.
0: Yes. So um, I am Italian, as you have just mentioned, and I've been outside of Italy for the past 20 years, uh, living in many different countries. I've lived in uh, China, in Hong Kong, in Australia, Singapore, Canada. The U.S, and uh, at the moment, I am in Italy. I am in Italy be- because of uh, COVID, and my family is very happy, so after 20 years, they got a chance <laughs> to have me around, and I am feel very blessed that I am actually around that. Um, and the reason that my world tour started is because uh, at the university, during the university, I studied for one year in Germany. And uh, I loved it, because uh, um, for me, it was an eye-opening experience in terms of uh, there is a world beyond Italy. <laughs> there is a culture that it is not Italian. And uh, that basically triggered my curiosity, and I became passionate about diversity and learning about different cultures. And so since I came back after one year from Germany, back to Italy, finished my studies, um, it stayed with me the desire of uh, going abroad and uh, learn about the world. At the time, my abroad was just Europe. but The opportunity came, in fact, to go beyond Europe and to move uh, to the other side of the world to, to Asia, and that was that was fine with me. <laughs> I was open. And, uh, and that's, that's what led me basically to, to start my life in a very different way than uh, I would have even imagined because I did not imagine that. So, yeah, was um, the encountering diversity.
1: I'm going to ask you more about that. But first, I want to ask you. You just say something there, uh, there was a world beyond, beyond Italy, and and I'm sure you're asked this question all the time, as I am. I left Italy 30 years ago, but constantly I'm asked, I can't believe you left Italy, such a beautiful place, etc., etc., etc. Now, you having travelled the world, that concept of Italy being the best place in the world, the way us Italian interpreted that, you know, that, that there is no for for a lot of us there is no world outside of Italy. Did you find that when you came back?
0: Yes, and actually, I I was interviewed here in Italy on on a program, and they asked me a similar question, and I and and. Uh, it is true, Italy is a very beautiful country. There are no doubts about it. And the food is great, the landscapes are amazing, the seas here, mountains, everything is beautiful. Restaurants, uh, it is beautiful indeed. And the rest of the world is also amazing. There are different kinds of beauties, different kinds of cultures. And I said to this interview and I answer your question the same way, it is as if uh, we are living in an awesome villa. With a beautiful garden, right? And we 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 want to enjoy that, and that's beautiful. But then then you want to explore and visit your neighbor and visit their villas and their gardens, and they are different and beautiful. They might not, they might not be the same. They are not the same, and yet that they, that's something that um, you want to um, be open to and explore, right? And so. Um, now that I'm here, I am asked very often, why do you want to go away so beautiful here? And I'm like, yes, it is very beautiful. And there is so much more that I am curious about and I want to learn and bring it back. And actually, my invitation to our fellow Italians is to, yes, enjoy Italy and be open to to appreciate also something that it is maybe of a different taste, but nonetheless, it's extremely uh, beautiful and rich and um, we, we can treasure that too and learn to appreciate something that is different, which doesn't mean that Italy is not uh, um, is something less. It just means that it is, there are diversities and I love them. I don't know how it is for you.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, The reason I was asking that question is a lot of the times when I go back, um, I I realized not long ago that the first time I tried non-Italian food that wasn't uh, from the local Chinese restaurant was when I left Italy because we just... We just have the best food. Why try anything else? (laughs) And so that that you know that's it. It's it's a simple example. I love the the analogy of the the villa. You're sitting in the villa. Why do you want to open the gate and see what's out there? You know, it's a lovely villa. You have everything in there. But like you, I just want to see what's behind the gate. I want to see what's around the corner. You know, where does that smell come from? You know, let's go and find out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and sometimes the smell is not great but you still want to find out what it's all about you know and I know you kind of through your career and we'll get more details on that but your global interaction your your diversity that's very much the cornerstone of what you've been doing for a long time am I correct Your the diversity the global interaction and how you shaped your your professional life
0: my my professional life is shaped around uh, um building what I now call a, a global mindset in terms of leadership, global leadership, because that has been my life. And when I say a global mindset and a global leadership style is really um, how do you evolve the person you are to be able to interact with diversity? not only to interact, but really understand what it is about who you are when you are in relation to these diversities and how do you um, transform yourself and expand who you are so that you can actually be um, performing at your best, even in the context of that diversity. And when I say performing, I do not mean performing a specific task, but be your best self that doesn't matter with whom or in which context you find yourself to operate. So I say that I work with inner leadership and I work with inner leadership in order to create and help people become the leaders of the future. And the leaders of the future are leaders that are global. There are leaders that can appreciate the local and they are able to uh, recognize and integrate also what is global and what is diverse and i think that that's our world has become very small now with the covid everybody is stayed most of the time in one place so we have learned to appreciate the local more probably and appreciate also what we have gained in all the the years where humanity really has evolved in being more uh, mobile
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and moving moving around so um yeah that that is what is in in um, in that what what i am actually doing with my profession and in my coaching as well so it is under the umbrella of uh, leadership it is global leadership because i like to think that my 20 years of really living and working in very different countries helped me to at least start to develop a way of uh, relating and uh, collaborating and thinking that can benefit mm. uh, people that are in complex and diverse spaces. And so, it's I meant specifically, if I may just add, add one thing, and um, I like to share the the metaphor for what I do of a watch, and particularly Patek Philippe.
1: Oh, very <laughs> Patek nice. Philippe
0: really watch. <laughs> At the back, it does have a glass, right? And through the glass, you can see all the engines, the tiny little bits that are composing the watch, and they are working properly. They are smooth in their movement; they are very well oiled, so to speak. <laughs> and and that's what I I do with uh, leaders and people that are really committed to evolve. I work in the on those inner engines so that they are actually. First, acknowledge, see, and then they work in the best possible way, so that then the effect of those engines working together you can be seen on the outside. So that's why I see. I say that I work on inner leadership and global cooperation <laughs> in this in this sense. Does it make sense, Andrea?
1: Absolutely, it does. And actually, while you're talking about that particular uh, brand, Patrick. It also it it's, it strikes me as something that it, you know that leaves a legacy. Is such a good working piece that will stay there regardless of who the leader is. Eventually, if that working organism carries on working, you know the the CEO or whoever it is eventually retires. But if the workings is there, that Patet Philippe or that particular watch is still working years to come, and that's really what we want uh, as an organization. Uh, no, I do absolutely love that that that, that analogy that. But you mentioned the global mindset. I I love that. But if if, having worked in it for the last 20 years or so, um, and diversity, like as we know in the coaching world, the words mean completely different things to different people. And diversity is one of those words that has been bashed around of late as a tick boxing exercise. And I need to make sure I have diversity in my team between quotes. Uh, Have you seen the change in that? understanding and really making diversity part of an organization over the last 20 years as a change but what, what is diversity when you work with leaders? what is the diversity for, for them and for you?
0: Um, let me say that I have never operated outside of diversity. Okay because um, when I was living and when I was living in, in Asia, I was living between uh, Hong Kong and mainland China and uh, um, Singapore, which is very close as well, and in Australia. There was all this movement for me among these countries, and it was impossible to be outside of diversity, cultural diversity, uh, social diversity, the the social status, the the everything that the geography was different. Everything was different at very different layers. The skills that we we had myself and the people I was interacting with, they were so different. So there was not a space where diversity in terms of really diverse individuals from the inside out where. So um to me, the discovery of diversity came from an inner, from experiencing it from within. So I was learning to be agile in the way I was thinking, in the way I was feeling, in the way I was relating, because every, every interaction and every situation was for me uh, challenging, because uh, I was not interacting with Italians, although Italians are challenging too in a different way, different kinds of diversity but I was always operating outside of my comfort zone uh, from all respect. So the my experience of diversity, and your question is, did it change in the 20 years? Um, what I would say is for me is the awareness of diversity that changed because at first I just was acting within it. And so I was uh, d- interacting and learning and stretching my mindset my emotional set my relational set and in time I learned that what I was challenged with was actually what is today called diversity right so oh so that's what it is it was as, it, it is as if in all these years I have emerged and I could see okay so that's what we call diversity so I met it before I actually could label it if that makes sense just because I was so much in the midst of it and Hong Kong particularly as is a melting pot as a in terms of different cultures different kinds of people different um people that have so many different jobs and come from very different cultural backgrounds and families interactions are different everything was different everything was different and uh um yeah so so I meant diversity before being able to label it. And that shaped also my identity, who I am and who I knew myself to be. So I don't know how I would define diversity. Diversity is just, it is not just, uh, I am white, you're black, I'm Italian, you're American, or or the macro area. Diversity, we are diverse Mm -hmm. at all levels. Micro levels, I would say, too
1: <laughs> Yeah. so no, I totally agree with you. I think at an, an atomic level we are diverse, you know, we're completely different uh, at every level, DNA and beyond. but um, I love what you just said there, and and I'm wondering how when you're working so I'm picturing you working with a, a leader to make him a global leader, to make him a, a leader that he or she will become that person that can embrace. What you just described, that diversity, which is multi-layered diversity. It could be absolutely anything. And regardless of the geography and the world, as you say, it's got smaller. We work different. We talk differently. We can do this over Zoom, et cetera, et cetera. But you mentioned something there which really caught my ear, is it being out of your comfort zone. And and I, I just uh, Cast my mind back to to what I was saying earlier about not eat, having tried Indian food before I left Rome because that's it's a comfort. <laughs> yeah, I'm out of my comfort zone. I, what is this thing? I don't recognize it. it Doesn't look like pasta. It doesn't look like pizza. What is it? Will I try or will I not try? So what what is the process when? And I don't need to know the specifics of you, but I love to know how you you bring that leader from a good leader to a global leader. What is that you make him do or what they do?
0: Well, let's say that I leverage what they name their challenges. And uh, it could be as simple as uh, um, um, a team leader, for example, right? Uh, it's very difficult for me to, I had a client who was saying that it's very difficult for me to work with this colleague of mine because uh, she is so slow and she thinks a lot and uh, and she <laughs> and she doesn't react, right? And so what was the challenge for him? Right? I what I do, I unpack the challenge, for example, in this example, and I say, Well, if you are <laughs> if you are American. And you are used to be very direct, and you have a very aggressive approach. For example, I knew you might know if, I, if I'm speaking with you, and you are my client, you might not know that that is your approach. You are used to it, so that's who I am, right? And the person in front of you is Japanese. Japanese people are not confrontational. They are not in your face. They are very. They have a very different attitude, a very different approach. And so, what you find challenge. Is understanding actually the differences in terms of culture and how you need to regulate yourself in relation to that specific culture before having to deal with that particular person? So I help, like in this example, first I help to become aware that that's what they first encounter, and actually what they first encounter is me, myself. So. Who am I really? And what am I made of? What are my behaviors, attitudes, values, and, and thoughts, right? Before being challenged by somebody else. So there is a lot of unpacking going on. Back to the metaphor, we need to find out all the tiny little engines of the watch.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right?
0: So that is one example. And uh, and by starting this work from the inside out using the challenges that are brought to me, uh, then what we do, we, we start with expanding, expanding the awareness. And therefore it is like zooming out from your comfort zone and, and noticing that you are in your tiny little zone box if you want. And so we start to observe what's around and what else does it mean and how does it impact you as an individual your team the organization right so we, we keep doing zooming and zoom out <laughs> and uh it is kind of a a, a gym actually the coaching session and, and this and then when i work with groups it's even better because really it becomes uh, a gym experience uh, where there is all these uh, uh, stretching <laughs> that yeah, we are yeah. making and becoming aware and stretching and becoming aware so
1: brilliant this
0: is one of the examples
1: brilliant and i know and, and, sorry go
0: this, ahead sorry and this is just wanted to add that this is uh, um, an, a transition right from being yourself to be with a global mindset in the sense that you really begin to think beyond you and beyond the layers that have always constituted you and your world hmm? mm-hmm. and 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 that's why it becomes global it becomes uh, looking at places that are far away cultural places emotional places cognitive spaces so in this sense i call it global
1: wonderful wonderful um I was just going to ask you a couple of things. Before I ask you about your book, which I'm really fascinated. I haven't read it, but I'm fascinated by the title. I want to ask you a couple of things about it. But before I ask you that, I I, I read through your studies. And I think I was tired by the time I got to the second last. You have so so many qualifications. I was like, and then I came across this thing, uh, which is a brand new thing to me. You have a PhD in ontology. And it's brand new. I have to admit my ignorance. I had no idea what ontology was. I did a bit of research, but I'd love to know a little bit more from you because it, it, it sounds absolutely fascinating.
0: It is fascinating. I, and it is a branch of philosophy. I, I am a philosopher um, in my heart, not <laughs> only in my heart. And ontology is uh, the philosophy and the science that studies the structure of being, of human being. And uh, um, it is very interesting because before I started philosophy, I was studying architecture. I studied architecture for a couple of years. And um, I stopped and I changed because I remember so clearly thinking, wait a minute, I'm learning how to build houses and villas and learn the materials that constitutes houses and villas. And I have no clue really about the structures and the material that constitute a human being. And so I, I remember very clearly, and it is actually also in my book, I said, no, I cannot do that first. I need to learn and I want to learn about human beings. And then I eventually will learn how to build them an a home. And so uh, I changed and I moved from architecture to the study of philosophy and particularly then my PhD uh, became uh, on ontology and really going deep uh, from a philosophical perspective in understanding what are our structure as human beings. And in particular, my love is with Martin Heidegger which is a German philosopher that perhaps you have heard of, um, so.
1: Wonderful. I love the way you describe things. Your brain obviously works very similar to mine. I love these analogies and I love the metaphor. I can see the house being built and I can see now the way you see the human psyche in a different way. is wonderful. Um, So your book, The Unexpected Gift, Emerging Anew After the Unthinkable. Great title, first of all. I read the blurb, but I'd love to know a little bit more about it from you, if, if I may.
0: Sure. Um, I, I wrote the book, The Unexpected Gift, as you say, and this is a memoir. It, is a, um, it tells the story, my story, which is the story of a woman that went through divorce whilst building her professional life and doing that in all the countries that I mentioned before. Um, it, was, uh, it has been a very difficult uh, story, it has been a very challenging experience, there is a lot of pain and suffering over there. And as they say, your life story is your leadership story. And that's exactly what how I interpret it. And that's why I love it so much, despite the fact that it was very painful when I had to go through it. And it and it starts with a breakup and a request of a divorce that was absolutely unexpected. Really, the famous out-of-the-blue moment. And that moment determined my awakening. It was a very painful moment, but it helped me and it forced me at first. I I don't say that I would have chosen it at all, but it did force me to look into myself and start really find, to to discover who am I, where I'm going, what do I really want beyond the culture I come from, beyond the narrative of being a woman that is supposed to be married with kids that I was born in and I had really to find resources inside and out to rebuild completely my life from the inside out. And uh, while I was going through this, it was so intense and so painful. And I remember there were moments where the pain was so strong and the lucidity of my mind was so powerful. And I remember thinking, I will never be able to understand dynamics that we are going through as human beings when we are challenging in so much pain, when pain is not there. And so I remember I started to write down uh, in in different moments what I was experiencing. And I was looking for books at the time that could help me to overcome what I was going through and to help me uh, believe that there was a good ending at the end of all of this. And I could not find anything. And so in, in years after the entire experience, uh, the, my divine comedy or my hero's journey uh, came to a conclusion in a positive way. Then I thought, okay, now I want to offer it as a, as a tool for people that might go through the same and want somebody to speak from the future and tell them that it's going to be all right and that you can make it, and that is going to be fine. And you just need to be hanging in there, tapping to all your resources, discover them, learn how to be resilient, become brilliant in who you are and, and leverage your own resources, people around you in a good way and resources outside. And so that's why the unexpected gift was uh, was written.
1: It's fascinating. The you mentioned there uh, out of the blue, and I might perhaps get to read it one of these days. But um, and you, in your profession, and you're reflective—I'm sure you do plenty of reflective practice. I'm sure you, uh, you, you—you know—you're in touch with yourself. You're in touch with what's going on. When you obviously it was unexpected, then through the process of writing the book, which I'm sure was some sort of a cathartic. Process because you have to rehash certain parts that are not necessarily the best things to do. But through that process of writing book, were you able to see the signs in hindsight?
0: Retrospectively. Retrospectively. Um, so first, it was out of the blue because I was already um, a philosopher. So I was really observing and noticing a lot. And when it happened, it was totally not expected and and uh and it was a shock also because i was very very attentive i wanted to invest in my relationship and i was doing it so there was a double out of the blue situation and uh, and so i i asked myself a lot uh, that question to begin with so how could i not see or what was i not acknowledging what did i didn't what i did not want to see so that was in itself, an insight of how we operate when we, when we are in fear, when we do not want things to happen, right? So this is the first thing that I would say. The second, did I notice signs in retrospect? Um, I did notice signs, which I was already aware of. The challenge of my experience is that, to me, those signs were opportunities to work on, to work on the relationship. Whereas uh, the partner and my husband, my ex-husband, did not give me any chance to do that. So from not having a clue to disappearing. In my opinion, there is a lot that you can change, transform and trying to adjust and understand. But that was never the case in my, in my experience. And that is what also made it so difficult and so painful for a person like me that in the profession, in what I do, I want to get better. I want situation to try to get better before breaking them, right? But that was not an option that I had. So um, did I see signs? I did see signs as in things we could have worked on and get better. And from my perspective, this is the journey of, of growing together with somebody. These are not elements to break up uh, a relationship right but we are different here we go another diversity we are different and uh, my ex husband thought differently and so that's that's what what happened that's what happened
1: mm. and how are you today
0: i'm very well <laughs> <laughs> i am very well <laughs> it happened i am indeed a different person if you if You know, when I was going through this, it was already 15 years ago that it started this process. But when I was going through this, I remember people saying, well, you will be, you'll get better and you will be different and you will see. And at the time I would say to me, well, I don't care. I don't want to be different. I like to be the way I am without this pain. Retrospectively, I literally could not have done and I would not have done what I had if it was not for that experience. Just to give you a a concrete example, well, when this was happening after my PhD, I decided that in order to understand from a psychological perspective how to support myself, because at the time I did not have tools that I would have had today if it happened today, I decided to do a master in counseling because I really wanted to learn some techniques. And after that, I decided that I wanted to do research on pain and suffering. And so I made a proposal at the university and I did a postdoc. I was leading a research cluster on philosophy, therapy and medicine, investigating pain and suffering with uh, the Department of Oncology of the university, because I really wanted to understand the how can we help people that suffer so much for a reason that seems to be Non-existent, or at least from the perspective of the subject, right? So, literally, this experience uh, created, enforced me, invited me, opened opportunities for me from that perspective. So, it did give me a lot. It took away a lot, but it did give me. Eventually, now I can say it. Not then. Now I can say it. Not then. So now I am. Uh, I am grateful not that it happened. I am grateful that about the way I was helped to deal with it, and I could uh, overcome the situation.
1: Wonderful. A couple more questions, and I'll let you go. What's next? Because you're you're obviously not going to stop at, you're not going to stop learning, that seemed to be pretty obvious. (laughs) But what's next? What's what's next on your plate, apart from your profession, which, uh, and what, what else?
0: Uh, At the moment, I am uh, uh, creating a very interesting uh, program. You know, now there is the online and everything is online. And uh, when the COVID uh, struck me, (laughs) I was in the process of... offering a beautiful retreat program because I love the experiential as I think everybody does and even more now. So um, I have been working on translating that into an online program and at the same time now I am adding again the experiential. Hopefully (laughs) I'll be able to offer these to people that want to go through this journey of self-discovery and expansion so that, that they can actually become leaders of the future. And when I say leaders of the future, I don't mean just in the organizations and in professional life, but uh, really in their life. And so for me, um, you say not in your profession, but I don't distinguish it within my life and my profession because, uh, they are so entrenched. And, uh, um, what I do as a profession is really my—I don't want to call it my calling—but it is indeed a mission, and that that I feel I have, and I want to to contribute. Life gave me very much, and so I keep myself updated. I want to learn um, more. I want to work with people that go through uh, divorce, and just after the the, the process, the transition from. Uh, through the divorce, I am helping them to, how do we rebuild a life that is fulfilling and completely different. Again, the theme of diversity, right? So um, that's what I love to do. And that's what I am involved with. So helping people really do this, helping groups, organizations, developing this uh, inner ability to be themselves fully and be leaders of the future in life and in their profession. And hopefully this is um, going to be better and better.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And what do you do to to relax, to de-stress, to chill out? What's your go-to thing?
0: I love sport. I love sport. I love hiking. Now that I'm in Italy, I have a chance to go hiking. So I love to be in nature. I love uh, long walks and I read while walking in the sense that I listen to books (laughs) so it's a great uh, great way to both relax and learn I love singing Andrea I really love singing so and one of my dreams would be to be able to record in a proper professional studio uh, a few songs and uh, and this is something that I eventually I, I will be doing I'm already scouting for studios and people that can help me with me with that i lo- i think that singing and by the way using the voice and singing is one element that is in my programs because uh, speak up and express what's in deep inside through the voice at least for women but i think also for men mm-hmm. it's something very powerful and often we are scared of our own voice so that is something that is i love doing by myself i sing to cow by the way also when i walk <laughs> around <laughs> <laughs> and they and they and they gather that's amazing they gather around you and they listen and it's it's such a beautiful experience so that relaxes me a lot
1: wonderful I'm looking forward to the the EP when it comes out um, and <laughs> so I always ask my guests to give me uh, one recommendation for a book so we already recommend in your book uh, I will put in the show notes but what is a book, and it doesn't have to be anything to do with your book, what is a book that we should read or listen to that you recommend?
0: Wow, oh, I should have prepared for this because there are so many.
1: Pick <laughs> so one, many. Uh, pick, pick a random one that you kind of stayed with. you.
0: Um, well, one book that I really loved and that gave me a lot, um, among the many, is a tiny, um, it's a tiny little book. From Chimananda Ngoti Adike, and um, it is uh, a tiny little book that she wrote as an answer to uh, her best friend, how to raise a daughter in today's world and society. So this is a series of uh, lessons. So very t- tiny, and um, the the. The title of the book at this moment is gone, but it is very famous and it is very beautiful and easily found. But it is so beautiful because uh, um, she talks about how do we raise boys and girls, and she suggested her best friend what how to change the perspective since she has a daughter about how she talks to her and what she points out to her and it is so powerful because she just uh, they are just very simple changes that we can do for example um, not necessarily girls want to play with uh, I don't know electronic dolls probably today it is and boys with uh, little cards, right? Let girls play with cards as well. So become aware that the way we talk and we relate to boys and girls is very specific and you want to open up that. It is a beautiful book and it is is a manifesto of how to be feminist today, but in such a beautiful way. And it pertains to boys and girls and men women and all kinds of... uh, uh, individuals um, and the way they represent themselves. So I think that would be the book. That would be the book. Unfortunately, I don't remember the name. That's fine. It's I'll, I'll, I'll find I think fine. it is How To Be Feminist.
1: That's fine. We'll. it's
0: How To Be Feminist.
1: No problem. We'll find it. But listen, I, I'm going to leave you. Oh, you have it. Perfect.
0: Yes, it is. Uh, we should all be feminists.
1: Wonderful. Excellent. So we'll, let, we'll, let, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. So I'm just going to leave you with a very simple last question. What are you going to have for dinner tonight?
0: Ooh, probably I will have an amazing salad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> ah, come on, you must be more than that. You're in easily. Come on, give me, some, give me something. Let me think of something. Let me dream of something.
0: <laughs> okay, so let me tell you this. I just came back from a few days of holiday in Puglia. In All the over. south of Italy, and uh, I did have so many amazing dishes over there, like orecchiette. Oh, ah, yeah,
1: I grew up with orecchiette. My grandmother, <laughs> and my mother was my mother, and my, my grandparents were from Puglia, so I grew up with orecchiette. I grew up watching my grandmother making orecchiette, which was still oh, wow. to this, it was phenomenal. And it's just a beautiful talking about mindfulness. I think that's how my grandmother. Used to do mindfulness, she used to cook for 10 people or whatever they used to be in the house, and all done by hand with the thumb Mm -hmm. rolling over the pasta. Beautiful!
0: So, there you go.
1: That is an art.
0: That is an art. In the honor of Puglia.
1: Wonderful. So, I'll I'll be dreaming of that tonight. And, uh, (laughs) Barbara, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. You have a wonderful energy, and I know you're doing a fantastic job, and I will try to to get around to read your book one of these days. Um, I would love to see more uh, of what that book says and uh, absolute pleasure having you on the show and uh, best of luck we're getting out of Italy one of these days.
0: Thank you so much. <laughs> it was a pleasure and an honor to be here and uh, it was really great having this conversation. So thank you so much. And I look forward to your feedback once you get around to read the book no pressure <laughs>